Callum Woodcock here with the Web3 podcast, the show that simplifies Web3 and shines a light on some of the amazing creators, investors, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders in this brand new corner of the internet. I'm joined today by Jordan Gray. Jordan runs Tank, an NFT incubator and accelerator, and he's also the founder of AstroDAO, amongst various other projects. I suppose you could call him a bit of a serial entrepreneur. Jordan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. No problem at all. Jordan, we always kick off this podcast by asking our guests to give a bit of an overview as to your professional background to date and how you first got into the the Web3 space. Yeah. So I actually got into the space a couple of years back and it was through my art and tech nonprofit. And this art and tech nonprofit is called Kodame. It's something that I've been running for 10 plus years. And we traditionally do nightlife events, interactive installations with performances in there. And we do workshops, things like that. So a lot of like in-person activities. And when COVID hit, we had to find a way of sustaining our artists and supporting them. That year, Lisa Kolb was our curator and said, hey, check out this NFT thing. It goes along nicely with the online programming you've got going and the online galleries you're building. We we did it and found huge success with it. In the few months that we were doing NFTs, we had more sales than the previous 10 years combined and decided to really like lean into it. And through that, I kind of fell down the crypto rabbit hole <laughs> and found near where AstroDAO was built. And yeah, that's, that's the quick summary. So to... Quickly take it back for some listeners who are perhaps newer to Web3 and might have heard this term banded around, but are kind of un, unable to really put a put a theme on it. What exactly is an NFT, both in the context that you're referring to NFTs and in that kind of broader context as to what they could be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in in my mind, there's kind of like two primitives of what's possible with fungible tokens and non-fungible tokens being those like two primitives. So a fungible token is any one fungible token is equal to another one. It could be a dollar, it could be a euro, it could be a Bitcoin, it could be a near, it could be whatever. So all of those are the same. One is interchangeable for the other. A non-fungible token, on the other hand, even if the two things look identical, each one is unique. So an example would be like your iPhone or your Android. You know, it might look exactly like another one, but if you switched it with another person, you wouldn't be happy. It's not the same one. So that's the idea with non-fungible tokens is like, even if they look exactly the same, they're actually unique. And it's pretty much akin to something like a serial number. Um, Mm -hmm. It gives you your unique identification code that's useful for tracking assets. And that's really what this is about is like looking at the nature of ownership and what's possible with digital ownership. And obviously, you're, what you've just referred to is kind of in the art world. So, you know, visual, visual art. But could an NFT be, you know, a piece of music? Can it be a video? Yes. So any kind of media can be tied to an NFT. And it can even be tied to physical objects, could be tied to property. Anything in the real world, which is non-fungible, which is most of the real world, <laughs> is made up of items that can't be replaced by any other item. NFTs are relevant to all of those things and all of the industries that those things touch. So while right now we're in kind of a craze of being excited about the JPEGs and, you know, it's a lot of fun and it is also enabling a ton of interesting projects to happen. 
I think that we're really at the tip of the iceberg for what NFTs enable and what NFTs can be. And we'll come down off that high at some point. Um, it's <laughs> inevitable. And as that happens, I think that we'll start getting into some of those more interesting use cases for NFTs and start exploring more of the possibilities once once we're not so, um, it's not exactly distracted, but we're, we're very much focused on, on the JPEG aspect at the moment. I think it's also these very, I don't know if you'd call them alarmist, but these these headlines that say, oh, you know, JPEG of monkey sells for, you know, $250,000. I think for, for many listeners of this podcast who are new to Web3, that will be the kind of <laughs> thought that they have the moment they hear that term. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm curious to understand then how, how are or how will innovations in the web3 space benefit artists and creators because you've mentioned it's obviously been you know revolutionary for for the artists on your on your books i suppose mm -hmm. yeah so taking taking a look even at like the the collectors that are buying these things for you know what seems like crazy amounts of money from a collector's point of view it's a lot easier to maintain a, a jpeg or a digital piece of art than it is to maintain a painting which requires like temperature control and lots of other things so wealthy investors that are looking at nfts as like an alternative to traditional art buying find them to be quite convenient and i think that that's something that everyday collectors uh, also notice as far as what it enables for artists again we're just touching the the tip of the iceberg but one of the most exciting things as my art and tech nonprofit got into this space was looking at the royalty systems. And this is also something that really attracted me to Nier was the fact that the royalties are implemented at the, the chain level or the protocol level. It's part of the standard. And what that means is that anytime a piece of art sells or one of these NFTs sells, there's a royalty split that happens that can not only pay the artist that you know made that creation, but also pays the like the curator or in my case the the collective that did the promotion of the artist in the first place. And those royalties work in perpetuality, so they're forever. And that's really a game changer for artists and and also for my organization. Just to backpedal from the royalties piece, I'd love to come back to that. But I was interested in what you were saying around people collecting this art because it almost sounds as if wealthy investors are using nfts as a as a store of value you know they can show that mm -hmm. they own the original and yet as you say they don't have to well they do have to secure it but you know they don't have to treat it and own that physical object necessarily mm -hmm. that's really interesting and then one thing that I think a lot of people struggle with is the difference between an original piece of artwork that has been that has been minted as an nft and then you know this whole right click save debate that's mm -hmm. going on at twitter right so okay you might have a bored ape but if i right click and save it i have that same bored ape is the best way of looking at this the difference between the original mona lisa and every single reprint basically yeah i think that 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 does nail it and the way i see it it's like if if you're somebody who's right-click saving and sharing an image that you don't own, what you're really doing is advertising that image and making it more popular and, and celebrating it. And that only drives the value of the original asset up. Does it drive it up for you? No, not necessarily. If you don't believe in digital the digital ownership, then, then you're not on that train. You're really doing the person who owns it a favor. That makes a lot of sense. So going back to the royalties point then that you mentioned, what impact do you think this is going to have on art and artists and the way that they approach 
business because presumably this then gives them an incentive to create more of a community around these different pieces mm -hmm. of art in a way that you perhaps wouldn't see in physical art you know if you want to go to an art gallery and purchase a painting I imagine that unless you're a super fan which I think is a perhaps a limited number of art collectors of, of physical art uh, in the real world you probably won't have much of an ongoing relationship with that artist because of the royalty system do you expect that to change in web3 Yeah, I think that there's there's just an acceleration in Web3 in general and in crypto in general where things are happening so quickly. And that means that the changes in the way that collecting and that even artworks is happening. So one one aspect of that is that NFTs make it a lot more accessible for people to get into art collecting. And it's something that's not just being done by, you know, high-end collectors anymore. And it's it's akin to go back to the music example of like there might be somebody who pays to go backstage and you've got your super fans like that. But then you've also got the people that just show up. They got their ticket. They got their T-shirt and they're still part of that community. They're part of that scene. It's just bringing that kind of model to the visual art world. And then, you know, other kinds of art as well, you know, interactive art, dynamic art, all of those things. That's amazing. That's a really good way of looking at it as well. It's almost like taking these, you know, physical experiences or physical communities online to which which seems kind of natural in in you know the development of of all of these industries. Okay, so I, I really want to touch on AstroDAO because mm -hmm. I know you guys are up to a lot of really interesting stuff there. Could you mm -hmm. give us a bit of background as to what AstroDAO is, and maybe for our audience that's less familiar, you know, what exactly is a DAO? <laughs> I know that's very simple, but I feel like you need to know that before we dive into yep. Astro yep. Let's let's get the terminology out of the way. <laughs> so um, when when I think of DAOs, uh, which are decentralized autonomous organizations, I I really see it as a piece of software. It's mm -hmm. it's like a spreadsheet. It's just a piece of software that helps an organization do what they need to do, yeah. um, and kind of like a spreadsheet, you could use it. For your own personal expenses you could use it for your family's expenses you could use it to go on a road trip or you could use it to organize a huge group buy or you could use it to organize a kickstarter there's just any number of use cases it's software the the decentralized nature of it i think speaks to the fact that it is truly a global economy when when you're talking about crypto there are no borders there and i think that it also speaks to the way that we're starting to work across all of those borders as well so it it applies in that like geographical sense, but then decentralized also applies in the power sense as well. DAOs don't give you, they don't prescribe a way for how a DAO should work. It's up to you to decide what you want to do with it. But one thing that's unique about what it does is it allows you to distribute power away from a center. So that, that decentralized bit is also about power in addition to geography. And because it automates so much, that's possible. So that gets into the automation bit where um, I think it's a really exciting aspect of it. And it really gets into the future of work when we're talking about the automation aspect, because what it means is that middle management, uh, decision-making jobs that can be written down into code and automatically executed, all those kinds of jobs are going away. And A lot of desk jobbers don't like to hear that because currently a lot of desk jobs are about making decisions after looking at things and doing synthesis. And I, I do think that a lot of that work is going to be automated and that DAOs are a big part of that. Now, that's not a scary thing to me because what it means is that people can focus more on 
valuable work that can't be automated. And when that valuable work is happening, the the amount of work that goes into an organization that's organized as a DAO will pay back the members of that DAO in a bigger way, in a more direct way, because there's none of the middle management and anything else. I think that we are in for a, a big change in the way that people work. And we're seeing you know, work from home being part of that and the global economy being part of that. And I think that DAOs and the automation that they allow for and enable are going to be a big part of that as well. I agree. Uh, it was actually how I kind of got my start, if that's the thing, in Web3. I found the index coop and stupidly, I thought it was like a traditional index fund and spent ages searching on LinkedIn to find out who the fund manager was only to have a, a consultant I messaged kind of put his arm around my shoulder and say, there's not a central <laughs> management team. And yeah, that kind of led me down the Web3 rabbit hole. So shout out to the <laughs> Index Coop. Um, but going back to AstroDAO then, could you give us mm -hmm. a bit of a summary as to as to the kind of raison d'etre? Why does AstroDAO exist and what do you guys do? Yeah, so AstroDAO is... Its North Star is to make DAOs accessible to everyday people. Um, it doesn't matter if you've got a big mission or a small mission. AstroDAO is there for you to be able to, you know, if you've got a near wallet, which is a prerequisite, then you log in and you can make a DAO in less than five minutes. Uh, technically, it's very straightforward. It's inexpensive. We're talking about like tens of dollars, not hundreds of dollars. And its its design was from the ground up about making this usable for people who want to do things like wall street bets or who do want to like organize a road trip or they do want to kickstart an album or something like that so it's really meant to be like flexible and easy to use and a large part of why we actually built this on near was because of how easy near makes crypto in general um as i was looking at all the options uh, for my art and tech nonprofit back in the day the one of the biggest complaints for the artist was that MetaMask was complicated and confusing and there's these long strings of numbers and they felt like something was going to go wrong. And, you know, it. I think everybody's had that kind of like moment of dread after you've hit a transaction and you're like, oh my God, <laughs> is this going through? Um, it's the, so delay, I, the delay between yeah. sending and receiving as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that it, uh, it's, it's a common experience in one of the really nice things about Near, when when you sign up for a wallet, you get a human readable name. So off the bat, it's like it just feels more like a, a typical Web2 experience that people are familiar with. The transactions happen quickly because of the like brilliant sharding design that makes everything super fast. So it feels like Amazon clicks when you're actually doing transactions. And that whole like ease of use and ease of onboarding made it the right choice for bringing DAOs to like the next billion people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's worth mentioning at this point, we actually have a separate episode in, in season one of this podcast specifically discussing the near protocol. So any of our listeners Ooh. want to check that out. How's that for a cross-sell <laughs> mid-podcast? Um, Love it. Interesting. I, I want to touch on something you just said there about how using near feels like a Web2 experience, because I think that's something the community has largely overlooked. You know, when I look at the Web3 ecosystem as someone, you know, I'm not a developer by by background. I don't know if you can you can tell. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but yeah, when I look at the, the ecosystem, it, because it's grown out of this very kind of like hacky developer, almost like crypto anarchist culture, I think for a lot of new people coming into the space who aren't technical, it can seem, as you've just mentioned with the MetaMask example, very overwhelming. And I think what we're going to see over the next year 
is a number of you know a number of initiatives like what you've just described trying to bridge that gap so take what's familiar and and yet you know bring people into web3 th- through these kind of familiar gateways you know there's a reason when you use when you're storing a file on your computer it's a little icon of a paper folder and a, a paper mm-hmm. file and if you look at your email you know app there's a little letter in there it's kind of taking mm-hmm. taking what was familiar into this new digital age and it feels like you know the the big winners over the next year five to ten years are going to be those that are able to manage that transition very well with, yeah, definitely. Sorry. with that in mind um, yeah, I, you- I was i was just um that, that prompted me to think about like the the focus of bringing something to market like this and it, it is a, a very like distinct choice to focus on current web3 users who do look at something that is web too easy and it is actually a turnoff to them and it feels like less secure to them because they're used to it being complicated. And then looking at the the web two users, which is I, I really do see that as being like the hugest growth potential for crypto and and it really does benefit everybody as more and more people get into the space. It it only means that everything's going up. I completely agree. We had someone on the pod who mentioned that you know you'll know Web three has truly arrived when you're on a a Web three application or a decentralized application without knowing it as a user. And mm-hmm. I think that's quite a, a nice way of describing it. So, so with that in mind, you know, what do you see as the future of the space? So, where where are we headed? What what will mass adoption bring? Well, I think that one of the the aspects that people don't love to talk about, but we really should be talking about, is the regulation. Something where if we don't lean into it, then it's going to be outside forces regulating the crypto world using the old rules. So I, I'm definitely an advocate of being proactive and bringing the crypto ethos to the rest of the world and saying like, hey, there is a new way to work and and coming up with some some real like legislation that supports that so that it can to the, the fullest potential the full service potential make a difference in the world. There's a lot of new ideas coming out of this space and it doesn't always make sense to look at them using the old laws. So I think that it's something to really like push on. So I'm, I'm for lobbying and I'm for regulation and really stepping into it because that's where we're going to see it becoming real for the vast majority of people. I'm really interested. I hope you don't mind me singling you out as an American here, but I'm really interested <laughs> in in your views on how how America or the United States, especially, has has approached crypto because it seems that they've taken a bit of a stricter line in comparison to the rest of the world. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah. Well, absolutely. I think that you are right, and it's also something where um, you know. Americans are just like litigation happy in general. It's it's kind of a thing. So um, it's not a surprise. And then also with with all of the stringency in the United States, it's also seen as a kind of like beacon of like, oh, if it's okay there, then it's okay everywhere. Yeah. And especially in New York, that seems to be the, the case where once something passes through New York, that approval process, then everybody seems to be okay with it so it's it's a blessing and a curse it's good that somebody's doing that kind of work it just happens to be the people that are the happiest about litigation (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate we're we're basically at time now so just before we wrap up i wanted to ask what resources have had a big impact on you have you got any shout outs to make on you know books podcasts 
anything oh it's it's such a such a broad ask it's hard to say like a, a single person that's that's been influential but as i got into the space for me it's really the individuals who i was connected with that kind of brought me in so i suggest like to anybody like ask your friend who's into crypto and see what they've got to say and see where that journey takes you because the personal connections and the peer-to-peer nature of this space re- really make that what it's about versus like there being like one centralized necessarily point of of reference for everybody. I, I do have to shout out like Mintbase and their their guild or their DAO. That was like hugely influential influential for me as I got into the space and they share a ton of great information. And of course, Nearweek, since I'm I'm big on the near space, Nearweek does a great job of taking everything that's happening and boiling it down to like executive bullets every week. So if you have even like half an eye on that, you'll you'll kind of have an idea of what's going on um, with that chain. I've uh, I've just googled that myself, so I'll be sure to to sign up after this pod. Um, fantastic. <laughs> and Jordan, if people want to get hold of you to ask any questions or or just to reach out, what's the best platform to, to talk to you on? Yeah, my DMs are open on Twitter, so I'm Starpaws there, and yeah, would love to hear from folks. Fantastic, Jordan. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Wow, what an incredible episode! This time with our new friend Jordan Gray of AstroDAO and Tank. To check out the show notes, see upcoming guests, and play more episodes from our incredible lineup of Web3 entrepreneurs, creators, and thought leaders, visit theweb3podcast.xyz. You'll find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with your peers on LinkedIn, Twitter, Discord, or wherever else it is that you hang out. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Callum Wooders. That's at Callum with two L's. Or drop me an email at Callum at the web 3 podcastxyz This has been the Web3 Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.